everyone, and welcome back to SALT Talks. My name is John Darcy. I'm the Managing Director of SALT, which is a global thought leadership forum and networking platform at the intersection of finance, technology, and public policy. SALT Talks are a digital interview series that we started in 2020 and look forward to continuing indefinitely because we've really enjoyed these conversations with a variety of different guests and we've loved the engagement from our community as well. But SALT Talks are a series of digital interviews with leading investors, creators, and thinkers. And what we're trying to do on these talks is the same thing we try to do at our conferences, which is provide a window into the mind of subject matter experts, as well as provide a platform for what we think are big ideas that are shaping the future. And we're very excited today to welcome Lou Evans and Ed Fortunato to SALT Talks. Lou Evans is the president and CEO of Commonwealth Energy Group, a graduate of the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania Department of Labor and Industry, Pennsylvania Apprenticeship and Training Council. Lewis is a highly skilled and licensed master electrician. In 2008, Lewis founded CEG in an effort to assist companies in lowering their operating costs by lowering their energy consumption and carbon footprint. Lewis is also an active member of the United States Green Building Council, Green Business Certification, Inc., and Lead Green Associate. Lou serves on the committee for a local U.S. Congressman's Military Candidate Selection Board as well. Ed Fortunato is the chief executive, uh, chief economist, excuse me, of Exelon Corporation, where he tracks global and domestic economic forces, forecasts future economic trends, and analyzes how these patterns and events impact the company. Over the last 17 years at Exelon, uh, Ed has managed the proprietary trading book and the short-term analytics group, led the implementation of trading strategies in both the proprietary and hedging books, and has run the fundamental analysis group as well. Uh, prior to working at Exelon, Ed served as the vice president of natural gas trading at Merrill Lynch uh, Global Commodities and was a senior energy trader at Edison Mission Energy. He also serves on the board of directors for Partners in Excellence Scholarship Program and Marion House, and is the chair of the Loyola University of Maryland's Data Science and Science Board of Directors. Hosting today's talk is Anthony Scaramucci, the founder and managing partner of Skybridge Capital, a global alternative investment firm. Anthony is also the chairman of SALT. And without further ado, I'll turn it over to Anthony for the interview. Okay, guys, I just want you to know, I'm going to start this interview with great disgust. Okay, I learned that John Darcy's getting fan mail for these salt talks. I haven't gotten one lick of fan mail yet, and it's just infuriating me. So I just wanted to mention that to you because you're both cheaper than my therapist. But <laughs> let, 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 let's get into the discussion about the two of you before we go into your business. And so, uh, Lou, Ed, tell us something about yourselves we couldn't find on the internet, Wikipedia. How did you get started? Why don't we start with you, Ed, and then we'll go to Lou. Well, it's funny. I was listening to your uh, discussion with Aunt, uh, Andrew Cuomo a couple of weeks ago, and uh, it seemed like we had a lot of similarities. Um, you know, you're talking about wooden spoons. I, I couldn't stop laughing. I, I spent my my life, uh, my younger part of my life, avoiding wooden spoons and laughing at my mom when she'd break them on us. Uh, oh, okay, so for the non-Italians listening into the Salt Talks, what Ed's referring to is the grandmother, the Nona, would come at you with a wooden spoon. She was stirring a pot of sauce. Yeah. She cleaned it off with a dish towel and she'd start whacking you with it. Um, and, and I like to tell people, some people say they got one strike in their family yet. Other people say they got three strikes. I got no strikes. I mean, she was starting to whack you before the pitch was thrown. You yeah, couldn't call the ball a strike. Yeah. 
And when we get, we got a little bit bigger and, uh, you know, we break the wooden spoon and she threatened our father when he got home and it was, it was a disaster, but you know, more than, more than that, it was, it was, it was the faith, the family, the discipline that you guys talked about. And, uh, you know, it just, it just, it just kind of struck a bell to me. It was, it was really interesting. I just think we have a lot of similarities as far as that background goes. We were a little bit more working class. Uh, I grew up in a Trump apartment, so I have a natural anti-Trump bias from a, from a young age. So no offense to anybody on that, but uh, I grew so, up. In- so that that was in Jamaica, that was in Queens, Brooklyn, in Brooklyn, in Brooklyn. Yep. Yeah. In fact, I cut out of seventh grade to go watch some film Saturday Night Fever, and uh, you know I went to Studio Fifty Four for my high school prom. I got a scholarship to Baruch College. I figured I'd give that a shot. My father would always say, you know, go to college, go push a pencil when you get older, and it took a lot of odd manual labor jobs to motivate me to go push a pencil. So. You know, I, I graduated. I, I started on Wall Street after college. I studied finance. I fell in love with commodities and trading. And, you know, a few companies later and 18 years at Exelon. And here I am. So well, go, uh, Lewis, go ahead. And it's, a, it's an amazing story. I, you know, and this is one of the things that always gives me hope for our amazing country. Each of us have had these sort of backgrounds and upbringings. And, uh, uh, you know, we got to keep that going. Ed. We got to keep it going. Luke, tell okay. us a little bit about yourself. I, uh, I too have, uh, fell victim to the wooden spoon, uh, have a grandfather right off the boat from Perugia. So, um, you know how my upbringing was, um, I started in, in graduated high school and, uh, we had a, uh, I am in the Northeastern Pennsylvania area. Um, and in that summer post high school, we had a, a terrible flood. Um, and I got a part-time job, which turned into a 60, 80 hour a week job. Um, so let me interrupt a, you. That's Northeast of Pennsylvania. Is that Wilkesbury Scranton? Where was it exactly? It is. Um, yes, Scranton area. River, right? So my, my dad yeah. grew up in Plains, PA. Uh, and so his family immigrated there from Italy. They were obviously in those coal mines. Then my as my grandfather got older, he started a uh, a small butcher shop. Um, so I know the area. I know the area very well. And you're referencing the Susquehanna River floods, which uh, there were some very big ones in the mid '70s. '72, Agnes was uh, worst on record here, up this way. Um, I, I was I was '85, and um, you know it was interesting. My first paycheck was uh, in the thousand plus dollar range. And I thought, you know, at 18 years old, I fell in love. Um, Amen. So uh, I pursued a career. I got into an apprenticeship, uh, went to school at night, you know, worked all day. Um, and um, I was uh, voted the, the most likely to not pursue a career. Um and uh, very much so go in business and um, everyone would uh, kind of joke with me and say, you know, you're here to learn the business. We all know that you're going to go in business. And uh, quite frankly, that, that's what I did uh, a few years later, around 22, 23 years old, um, started out small um, and um, have uh, started my own company back then. And uh, we did some commercial industrial work. And then I became uh, senior VP of another company uh, doing major commercial industrial work. 
And then uh, prior to the real estate bust in, in 08, uh, the commercial markets for construction, uh, they had dried up long before the bust. Um, and we we couldn't buy a job. We couldn't buy a project back then. And uh, I kept getting uh, these magazines into my office on my desk, and they all had green covers. And, uh, you know, it was basically despair. And, and, and I opened up... Uh, one of the magazines one day and, and uh, started reading about green life, whatever you want to call it, uh, sustainability. Um, and, uh, and I took a chance with it. Uh, Pennsylvania had just deregulated, which means that you could now uh, buy your electricity, kind of like the old Ma Bell deregulation. You could buy your electricity on the open market. And there were so many lawsuits that uh, there were a lot of grant programs in play um so i put together a grant program uh used one of a very one of my close friends who who still today owns a a major call center used him as my first customer once his grant money came through um he at that point set up a meeting for me with 11 investors it was the day before thanksgiving uh 15 years ago and I had hoped that, you know, one of the guys would write a check. And uh, I walked out of that room with 11 checks. Um, so uh, over the past 15 years, uh, through buy-sell agreements, um, about four years ago, I, I, I've been able to take the company over 100%. And uh, sustainability is, uh, is a very broad word. Uh, energy efficiency is more what we do. Uh, and we do it on a commercial, industrial, and municipal scale. Um, we, uh, I don't know if I can get into talking about my business model at this point or save it for later. No, we um, want to talk about the business model. Let, let, let's talk about the business model, um, uh, where you see it today in COVID, where you see it post-COVID. Uh, tell people that don't know about Commonwealth Energy Group what you guys do. So back in 08, um, you know, we were, we were a startup uh, and we had a great run for a good three, four years there because the incentives coming back from the utilities because of the lawsuits that I spoke of, they were very, very lucrative. Uh, you know, a, a typical office light above your head uh, would have a rebate in the same dollar amount that we would charge to put it in. So... Uh, there is certainly, you know, no, no such thing as free, but we were getting a $50 rebate to put in a $50 fixture labor and material. Um, and, and that was a great run for a good five years. And, and uh, as the incentive programs dried up, uh, we dried up as well. And, and we knew that we had to make a pivot um, because we could show amazing return on investments, um, you know, we could get projects to a, a two-year return uh, or less. And, uh, you know, back in 08, 09, people would say, that's a beautiful thing, but we're not going to stroke a check. Um, so we came up with a, a, a self-funding model 
um, because it, it was, you know, our biggest obstacle. Uh, at, at that point, we started very small um, and we started to fund people and finance people. Um, and, and we've grown with that model. So, um, you know, as of today, um, every project that we do, whether it's a, a sustainability plan or a retrofit as, uh, beautifully our, our new administration is talking about, uh, retrofitting many, many buildings throughout the country. Um, we actually fund that project ourselves. So we put up the capital, we do the work and we also guarantee the savings. Uh, it's pretty well a win, win, win. Um, it, it would be very hard for you to say no with us giving you the capital, putting a guarantee on it and doing the work for you. Uh, so it's, uh, very much, uh, uh, so how do Good you model. guys, how do you guys connect? How do you guys partner up, Ed? So we, uh, we have a little bit of everything in our company. We have a big umbrella. We have five utilities that serve parts of uh, Chicago, Pennsylvania, Baltimore, Maryland, uh, Eastern Shore, Maryland, uh, you know, New Jersey, Atlantic City Electric, Washington, D.C. And uh, then we have a generation company. We're the biggest uh, carbon-free generator in the country. And uh, we have a big retail arm. It's the biggest in the country. We sell more electric, more natural gas than anyone in the country. And and Lou's company really just kind of comes in and it's just another aspect of, of our retail business. It's not just, but it's a, it's a big part of our retail business. So we can, we can use that as a marketing tool to get in the door and say, hey, we can come save you money. You know, we can kind of make it more efficient and we can, you know, make your business, you know, run better. And not only can we do that, we'll sell you gas and power. And it, it's worked really, really well. I think it's been very lucrative for both, you know, Lou's company and our company too. So we continue that. And I just, just to quantify just, you know, how efficient lighting has gotten and, and just using lighting as an example, there's a, there's a measurement of BTUs per lumen and lumen is the amount of light out there. And if you're burning, you know, a candle, or you're burning some wood, it's like 0.2 lumens per BTU. A conventional light bulb is about 15 lumens per BTU. You know, an LED bulb is, is in the tens of thousands of lumens per BTU. So it's gotten just so much more efficient. And when I started in this business, you know, you were talking about, you know, lighting demand would be about 20% of total demand overall. And you're down to 10 now or eight or 10% now, and, it, and it's heading lower, you know, so a lot of the low hanging fruit's been extracted, but there's still way more to go as, as far as just, just lighting alone goes as far as efficiency. When you, when you look at uh, the new administration, and obviously uh, Lewis knows this, uh, Joe Biden is from uh, that area, Scranton, PA. Um, he's thinking about things like the Green New Deal. He's thinking about things like uh, addressing fracking and potentially curbing fracking. Um, the Paris Accords, the reintroduction of the Paris Accords. Tell us about the impact that this would have on your business, if any, and how are you prepared and set up for the future, given these things that are out there? Lou, me? Who are we talking? Yeah, it doesn't matter. You Go ahead, We're all, It's a free-flowing conversation. Okay, good. I, I just didn't want to cut anybody off. You know, it's a, you know, the, the future is the future is bright for I think energy, and I think there's a lot of reasons for it. I think one of the things that I was reading about over the the course of the holidays was just kind of new new energy and renewables. And, you know, for the longest time, I, I always viewed them where they always kind of seem to be kind of subsidized inferior products compared to the fossil fuel business we have. 
And you look at, you know, GE, which is a major corporation, they're having trouble now, but they're a major corporation, the major access to capital. They're developing wind turbines with 13 megawatts. The average wind turbine in this country is about two megawatts. So, you, you know, you can drastically increase the amount of electricity coming from the wind. You know, we have 60,000 wind turbines in this country. And if you start retrofitting some of those things, it'd be a vast difference. Hydrogen has been the darling of this whole pandemic as far as energy goes. They've done a lot of work on that and they're using that for energy storage purposes. You can take the wind, use it as electricity and, and off peak hours, which is when wind blows, you know, nighttime and, and spring and fall and save it for a save it for a, a more peak day. And uh, you can use hydrogen as that vehicle and it's, it's starting to make sense as far as price and, and as far as technology goes. And then you get a you know, then you get a company like Quantum Scape, which went public back in November. You know, that had a you know a five billion dollar market cap, went up to forty billion, it's somewhere around twenty billion now. But that's using solid state batteries to to you know in automobile applications, and that can kind of really change the game and challenge a Tesla and give an opportunity to you know places like Volkswagen or GM to really kind of mass produce electric vehicles. And if you if they charge as quickly as they state they can, and, and they give you a, a range as large as they can, that would really kind of challenge the energy business. And I think that's important going forward. You know, as far as Biden's Biden's work, we have a very balanced you know Senate right now. We have a really tight you know House of Representatives. And it's going to be hard for some of his more aggressive plans to get through. You know, a guy like Joe Manchin or a guy like a senator like Murawski in Alaska can really kind of have an impact just moving one to the other because the, 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 the how the Senate is so tight. And, uh, you know, so it's going to keep, you know, very aggressive ideas more more neutralized. Fracking on fracking on public lands is is probably the most vulnerable. It's only eight percent of our total output, and, and there's tons and tons of natural gas out there. It's in, in, in private lands too, so it's not going to be a problem. Gas is going to be a transition fuel to the future, and 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 is yeah. I'll I'll stop there. No, no. Listen, it's it, it, it's fascinating. It's the reason why I wanted to have you guys on. Let's let's talk about the uh, the next twenty years in your business. With everything that you just said, and I'll, I'll turn this over to Lewis, uh, what is the backdrop? How are you adjusting? How are you adapting to the landscape and the macro factors that Ed is laying out? That's a, that's a very interesting question um, because where we sit in the energy sector, uh, whether it be commercial, industrial, or, or municipal, uh, we will always always be the second largest expense next to people in an organization. Um, so hydrogen um, is definitely the key to the future. Uh, you know, long-term battery and inexpensive battery is definitely uh, just as good. I mean, if you look at the demographics on who's driving electric vehicles, it, you know, it, it's mid thirties, uh, over a hundred thousand dollar income. And that demographic has never changed. So something has to change and, and uh, lower price batteries and uh, maybe cars with a lot less bells and whistles that, that you know, people will be able to afford them. Um, you know, you can look at, at a saturation point, whether it be new air conditioning, LED lighting, whatever that may be, but there's always there's always something more. Um, you know, we're, we're running, uh, looking in our marketing. You know, we we 
have came up, we, we came up with a, a bit of a plan where, you know, through COVID, um, I, I would drive weekly through Philadelphia and I would very much see all of these buildings lit up 100% at dusk or at nighttime, but yet I knew there was no one in there. Um, so if you take an LED and you've saved 70%, uh, there is nothing cheaper than off. So lighting control now becomes the next thing. You know, wh why do you want to have a light on? Even if it is 70% cheaper, why do you want to have a light on if no one's there? Um, you know, conditioning air uh, is going to be massive. You know, it's going to come out of this administration uh, just because of COVID. You know, the, there is uh, there is going to be a great run on HVAC equipment. You know, everybody wants their air conditioned to be able to take, you know, COVID out of the air. Uh, they they want that warm and comfortable feeling. So, um, you know, what we do until there becomes a replacement for electricity, lighting, and gas, um, you know, we just need to get more efficient every day. And, and um, you know, when it comes to sustainability, we do not approach sustainability the same way that, uh, let's say, a, a Greenpeace tree hugger would. Um, you know, we look at it for the actual definition. You know, we're help. We're here to help you sustain your company. And, and you know, if it's financial, we'll bring in a financial person for you. Um, you know, we can certainly help you get your energy bills down, but we want that company to sustain themselves for many, many years to come. So, um, I, I believe that the energy sector is in a great position because it is changing every day. Um, you know, I, uh, we've got, uh, Steve Wozniak playing in the energy efficiency game now. Mm -hmm. So, um, that is, uh, that's a great punch in the arm, a uh, shot in the arm for the energy efficiency game. Uh, and, and, you know, we're what's called an energy services company. And now Waz is calling out ESCOs as, you know, the great new companies of the future. Everybody needs to be using ESCOs. Um, so uh, I believe that, um, you know, energy savings will never go away. Because HR looking to slash their costs will never go away. So we're number two. Mm -hmm. Let me let me ask Ed, because you know, you've done a lot of work on this over the years, uh, the relationship with China that the U.S. is going to have and the energy draw that China has on the world in terms of its fossil fuel consumption, et cetera. Uh, where do you think things are going to go in the Biden administration with that relationship and uh well, I'll give Trump credit for one thing. He, he's made our relationship with China a bipartisan issue and he's brought it to the forefront and they they seem to be a threat. And, and you know, as long as that's the case, it's it's going to be fairly contentious and, and, and a little more competitive. Um, before we the tariffs were imposed, there was a lot of talk and a lot of work on LNG exports to China directly. And that's kind of gone by the wayside that that stopped right now. But even without us exporting gas to China, it's still an energy hungry world and it's still a very energy hungry country. So, and, and, it, and energy globally is a logistics problem. So, you know, if we 
if they were going to buy it from China, was going to buy LNG from us and they're not buying it from us, they'll, we'll sell it to Europe and Europe will ricochet it over to China. So there's still, there's still demand for it. Um, I think the Biden administration is going to take some of the rhetoric out of the, the equation as far as China goes. They, it's going to be a little bit less in the headlines and, and possibly a little bit more, um, you know, kind of clandestine or, or behind the scenes. Um, I think uh, Biden's going to work hard with Europe and other allies to kind of formulate a, a strategy to kind of, you know, kind of isolate China, whether that's a re- reenactment of Trans-Pacific Partnership, whether that's a, a, a an alliance with, uh, you know, for trade with, with Europe, whatever it is, I think they're, they're going to kind of try and counteract China's influence in the world that way. You know, the Paris Accords, as you mentioned before, we're going to rejoin those. It's more of a ceremonial type of, of pattern. You know, the 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 cheap gas that we have in this country has done more to hurt coal and carbon emissions than, than anything else. Um, so the combination of things is, is going to hopefully our alliances, hopefully our, uh, you know, growing LNG exports around the world will, will kind of offset China and offset Russia's kind of influence with China as far as gas sales with them go too. But, but it's interesting. And I think it dovetails from what uh, Lewis is saying about energy conservation and timing of the lighting, timing of the energy, making it more efficient. It puts America in a power seat geopolitically, right? Because ultimately we're gonna be able to have some level of energy independence going forward, which will help the country's footprint from a foreign policy perspective. Is that sure? It sure seems that way. You know, it's for the last 10 years, everyone's expecting the US dollar to collapse for its world currencies. And one of the biggest supports of that is we're not shipping a trillion or a trillion and a half dollars out every year to countries. You know, for for oil anymore, it's it's the balance of trade and energy is, is fairly flat now, and you know that combined with you know the the, the rich resource now has kind of taken us from going to countries who are basically our enemies on our knees to begging for energy to kind of be an independent, and it's really kind of changed the, the politics of the Middle East. It's changed our relationship with Russia, and uh, you know one of my fears initially was you know with lithium ion, you know China call, controls most of the cobalt in the world, they control most of the lithium in the world, and as a result, we're kind of going from, you know, dealing with the Russians and Iranians for energy to, to dealing with the Chinese. And, uh, you know, now if we do develop solid state batteries, they're much more, you know, just common materials like zinc and, and nickel and things like that, which China doesn't control. So we'll, we'll have more control of our independence energy wise and, and, and go from there. You know, I'll just I'll, I'll throw out a quick trivia stat for you. About 60 percent of the electricity produced in this country is produced to move the electricity from the power plant to your home. And, uh, you know, just just a change in that would just completely, you know, make things infinitely more efficient. And if we can get kind of, you know, scale on solar or scale on wind where you can use it in your house or put it on your roof, that transportation fee goes away and it makes the whole system, you know, demand would plunge for that. So there, there's just a lot of opportunities out there. I think, you know, financing it has been there for, for about five or 10 years now. And it, we need to kind of push forward and, and, and uh, you know, kind of have these new developments kind of take hold, which is what we're starting to see. Well, I, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn it over to uh, the erstwhile millennial who's getting the fan mail uh, because uh, this is the way we get our ratings up, Lewis. What can I tell you? It's, a, it's embarrassing to me. Uh, but go ahead, Darcy. I know you've got a ton of questions for these guys, so fire away. I don't have a million Twitter followers like you showering praise on me every day. So I got to latch on to just a single piece of fan mail that I get. 
to, to try to boost my ego and, and boost my confidence. So well, you didn't have least, to bring it up though. You didn't have to bring it up and hurt my feelings in front of my friends, but go ahead. Uh, so I'm going to start with, uh, with Lou on this one. So the vaccine is getting rolled out. We're starting to see, I think, travel pick up a little bit, and we're starting to see sort of light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, Dr. Fauci said that by April, he thinks that, or at least within April, he thinks the majority of Americans who want the vaccine will be able to get the vaccine. So when, in your view, are we going to see energy demand pick up back to uh, normal levels, and what will be sort of the path to getting back to the normal levels. You say energy demand, I, I, I would say that you're, you're talking about commercial industrial. Um, you know, I would say 12 to 18 months. Um, it, it seems like a lot of large companies um, are are going to stay with this work at home model for quite some time. Uh, so that is gonna be, um, you know, it's almost a real estate question at this point for a REIT. Um, we don't, you know, that, that seems to change every day. You know, are you gonna work from home for the next two years? Or are you gonna get back in the office? Um, I, I was on a, uh, actually Ed hosted a call yesterday um, and, and, you know, the, the downfalls of not being in the office. Um, so uh, from our standpoint, it, it almost doesn't matter uh, because we, we're, we're poised to help whether you're in the building or not. So uh, energy demand kicking back up in, you know, the, the commercial industrial space, I would say, gradually over the next 12 to 18 months. What are the biggest drivers in commodities markets in general as we head sort of uh, into 2021 and, and into a more normalized environment? Ed, do you want to take that one? Yeah, let me just pile on for, for uh, the, the energy demand question for a second. You know, yeah. Luke covered the commercial industrial, but, you know, you look at the transportation side and until, until air travel improves, you know, jet fuel is going to be depressed. And uh, you're going to have a lot of people, you know, driving around. You'll, you've, you've seen gasoline demand rebound. We went to, we averaged about nine to 10 million barrels a day of demand. We went down to right. three million barrels in April. We're back to seven or eight now. You know, that'll increase as, as things get better. But jet fuel is a couple million barrels a day, and we're, we're, we're a fraction of that. Until, until we get back to that travel, and whether it's leisure or business, and business is going to take a while. You know, Zoom calls are pretty efficient. You don't need to stay over, you know, stay for two nights, you know, to go for a two-hour meeting anymore. You know, right. I think I think that uh, I think that's going to you know change a lot and take a while to to rebound. But uh, as far as commodity markets, you know, liquidity in the markets and, and Fed stimulus and, and things like that have had a had a had a big help. You can see, you know, money flowing into different commodities, um, you know, pretty aggressively. You take a look at gold. Gold's been you know prices have been very strong. You know, as money's kind of flowed there. You you've seen you know commodities like oil be depressed because of lack of demand, but lumber demand has been through the roof just based on all the building demand for people. You know, people in the houses are tired of being in their small cramped house, they're gonna expand it. They wanna do a little bit of work in their house to improve it. Businesses have been very ingenious and in kind of, you know, expanding outdoor restaurant space and seating. So you'll see a, a, a lack of, you know, uh, an increase in demand for that. Um, you know, as far as 
commodity prices going forward. I think it's more lack of capital going to the, to the market than anything else. If you look at oil, you know, oil capital spending in oil has been cut 30% in 2020 and 2021 also. And uh, as a result, you just, you know, you, you, you know, when, when this demand does come in 22 or 23, you won't have as many projects online to kind of, uh, you know, have capacity. And without that capacity, you're going to, you're going to see prices surge and that'll be the market signal to go out and kind of go drill for more. Right. Who do you think will be the biggest winners and losers in the energy space this year? And Lou, we'll start with you on that one. In the energy space, as far as customer goes, or yeah, broadly, I'm seeing a very big jump in data centers. Um, data centers are expanding hand over foot, and uh, they are huge, huge energy users. Um, which obviously comes with our time, right? You know, we're, we're in Zoom, we're in Netflix, uh, you know, we need more we need more cloud storage. So data centers are expanding. They will definitely be winners. Um, I think the at-homes will definitely be winners. Um, um, and I think that, uh, you know, I think strong REITs will be winners. You know, they're adjusting um, and they're being proactive and they're taking this COVID time whether with half empty or empty buildings to make the modifications to make everyone comfortable so that when the day comes, um, people will feel comfortable coming back. Ed, what do you think? You know, as far as winners, we've seen hydrogen be the biggest winner. Any any equity that's invested in hydrogen or is doing research on hydrogen has kind of jumped up. We've seen some some realizations on hydrogen's limitations. We've seen some progress on it. We've seen uh, you know big progress renewables, like I mentioned with with wind turbines. You know, we've seen solar panels improve. We've seen storage technology. You know, just really you know really kind of improve at different different levels whether that's batteries whether that's you know whether that's uh you know wheels things like that you know I'll, I'll just diverge for a second you know storage is the holy grail of the energy business and you know whether that's you know a battery to kind of you know threaten exxon mobil or the house of saud on the gasoline side or flatten out prices on power you know it, it's it's you know you you figure out the stole the, the storage problem you you win the trillion dollar prize and, uh, you know, there's a lot of work being done on that. There's, there's been some progress, and I think there's going to continue to be more progress going forward. And that's going to be the most exciting part of the whole business. And like we've seen, we've seen trends accelerate, and this has all really kind of come to the forefront over the last year or so. And like I said, you can almost imagine a world now with renewables, whereas a year ago, you just weren't seeing it. Right. Well, we're going to leave it there. Thank you so much, Ed and Lou, for joining us on Salt Talks today. You know, we have a lot of members of our community who are investors in the energy space. Obviously, it was a challenging year uh, in 2020 with the pandemic and other factors that help uh, drive energy costs, uh, energy prices down. So it'll be a fascinating thing to watch. And hopefully uh, we'll have you back either back on Salt Talks later in the year or at one of our in-person conferences. We're bringing uh, the SALT conference back in 2021. We'll have an announcement on that in the next couple of weeks, but we look, look forward to uh, keeping up with you guys and hopefully talking to you soon. Anthony, do you have any final words before we let uh, Lou and yeah, Ed well, go? Well, well, Darcy, you may be getting fan mail, but now that I know where Lou is from, him and I, we know where the best pizza is in the world. It happens to be in that area. Am I wrong, Lou? Brooklyn. 
Oh, Ford, Pennsylvania, the pizza capital Ford of the world. Was talking about Brooklyn. He doesn't we're, know where he's talking about. That's where pizza touring. I'm remember, you remember, you remember, Bru- you remember Brutico's in Old Forge, Lewis? Absolutely. Yeah, see, these guys don't know. in the world, Anthony. These guys don't know white pizza, Lewis. They don't know white pizza. Okay, they don't. They don't even know what they're missing. Look at how look at how naive and uneducated they are. You need um, the best pizza. You need so many gardens in your life. We'll get you there after this pandemic. <laughs> All right, guys, Anthony, tripe and sofrita. A- amen. Amen, Lou. All right. Well, guys, thank you for coming on. And uh, we'd love to get you out on one of our live events. And uh, we'll see you guys soon right after the pandemic. Good. Happy New Year. Hey, All right. Thank you, very much. you to everybody uh, who tuned into today's Salt Talk uh, with Ed Fortunato and, and Lou Evans to discuss the energy markets and the future of the energy space heading into 2021. Just a reminder, you can access all of our talks on demand on our website at salt.org backslash talks backslash archive. And you can sign up for all of our future talks at salt.org backslash talks. Please follow us on social media. Salt is on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. And please tell your friends about uh, Salt Talks and about Salt. Uh, We love growing our community. We grew it tremendously in 2020 uh, using these digital tools that we were sort of forced to use, you know, with doing Salt Talks rather than doing our conference series. But it turned out to be a blessing. And we're very excited to have all these uh, new members of our community who are aware of Salt and everything that we're trying to do here. So very gratified by that. And please spread the word about Salt. Uh, This is John Darcy on behalf of everyone at SALT signing off for today. We'll see you back here again tomorrow on SALT Talks.